our guests to come on up here and join me. This, will, this is going to be good. Um, have we got their microphones figured out? Do we, okay, we got that. There's that. And... Is it? Okay. Woo. Um, I guess. Uh, all right. All right. Good stuff. Hey, now. Woo. Thanks for giving us a minute to get set. Um, these guys are all from Chi Alpha. And in just a minute, I'm going to give you an opportunity to uh, share a, a quick, if you don't know what Chi Alpha is, but this is Derek Britt. We've supported him um, from our uh, missions uh, giving for at least a year now. And Luke, Luke, how long have you been in, uh, at Chi Alpha? Eight years, yeah. I think from the time he went, we've supported him for eight years. And this is Grant. Grant with a great name, Miller, who is actually a Middlebury-ite. Yeah. And is, is uh, hey, all right. Welcome, Grant. Yeah. And uh, has actually uh, gone through uh, IU, Chi Alpha, already graduated, and now um, working with Chi Alpha, praying about what the next step is for your life. Good stuff. So Grant's here with us. But uh, Derek, can you just real quick, we're going to watch a video that's going to share with you what has happened through Chi Alpha over the past year. Um, but just before, if there's someone in here, you have no idea what Chi Alpha is. 30 seconds. What is Chi Alpha? Explain so, first of all, I want to say thanks, and this doesn't count in the 30 seconds. Okay, um, sure, sure, sure. I want to say thanks for being here and uh, for letting us be here, and want to say just how awesome of a pastor you have, and I'm not, I don't say that everywhere I go, not because I don't like the pastor, um, but, <laughs> but I'm just saying, yeah, I'm saying just hearing him as we were praying before service, and just what I know of him, I mean, he sought both of us out to say we believe in what you're doing and we want to support you. And that, that means a lot to me. But hearing him speak to you and hearing his heart, um, I, it's, it's like undeniable, like this is where I would go to church <laughs> if I lived in Middlebury. I'm so excited about what's happening here. And I'm really excited about the opportunity to share about Chi Alpha. We're at Indiana University. Um, and a few of the things that are going on uh, at IU are the reasons why we went to do this. Um, it actually came came about. It actually happened. Um, but we believe that the university is the most strategic mission field on planet Earth. Uh, we don't think it's the most important, uh, but there is something strategic about the campus um, that it doesn't exist anywhere else. When you look at this map and you realize that we have students from all of these nations, many, many, many of these nations who are just hanging out in southern Indiana right now, going to campus at IU. This is a very unique opportunity where the nations literally come to the United States just to study. We have an opportunity to reach people with the gospel. We also have people like Grant from Middlebury uh, who are coming down and not knowing what their college experience is going to be look, looking like. Um, you know, just could look a lot like a lot of things. We have a lot of images that come to our mind, right? When we think about a student graduating and going to IU, going to Purdue, going to these other places. And, uh, and what we've noticed is, as students like Grant come in, we notice we have a unique opportunity. These students are in their dorm room. Grant's mom's here this morning. We have to hang out with her. She's like an awesome IU fan. We just really appreciate that, and it was <laughs> great. Um, but uh, an alumni from IU as well. And we, we have these students who are coming here who are, like, going home to Middlebury for a home-cooked meal, you know. And they're just, like, freshmen, sophomores, juniors living in dorm rooms, and they have no influence in the world. And we have a really, other than on their campus, right? And we have a unique opportunity in that four years to share the gospel with those people where 10 years from then, 20 years from then, they do have influence. And so yeah. we just have a really unique window to bring the gospel into that place. We reach internationals. We reach people um, from across the state of Indiana, across the country, future leaders. And we just have a really uh, awesome opportunity. We're seeing revival happen. And so talk about the images that come to your mind. You might think about like partying. You might think, you know, this, alcohol, you know, whatever. No, when I ask the question, what images come to mind, nobody says studying or professors or anything like that. You know, it's just like <laughs> the campus is, you know, a scary place. And what we've recognized is that, um, that that's not true. Like we're seeing different images than what you think of when yeah. you think of the campus. And the reason we're showing this video, it's, it's seven minutes long, but the reason we're showing this video is because I don't know another way to, to show you those images yeah. other than just showing you the images. And so you're going to hear stories. You, these are baptism testimonies that are going to be threaded. This is basically taking you through a whole year of Chi Alpha. It happened to be Grant's senior year last year. And so you're going to hear a lot of stories about what God's doing. So check it out. And yeah. uh, let's just celebrate what God's doing on the college campus. Amen. Let's do it. 
Six months ago, I never would have been standing here in a church service, let alone getting baptized. And it just makes my heart really happy that I finally learned what it was like to live a Christ-centered life. He pursued me even when I wasn't pursuing him. In all my moments of doubt and faith, he's loved me the same. I'm just excited to proclaim that and to uh, finally become like a part of a church and Christian community. And seeing how God has transformed my life just in the past couple of months has been amazing. I want to be baptized tonight because I'm on fire for God and I want to proclaim that to all of you. I really felt God in that room and that was the first time that I felt God in a really long time. And he just said, it's time to go all in. You can't be living with one foot in and one foot out anymore. Since then, I've realized that there's only one place that you can get true love, true forgiveness and true fulfillment and that's God. I just saw so many people kind of um, making a commitment to God and making a commitment to Jesus and love and living in a life of faith, I realized that I've needed to do that for a long time. So I pretty much came to IU, uh, kind of lost in my faith, and uh, I've never really had a close relationship with God, I'd say. But I feel like Jesus is calling me through Chi Alpha, through Chris, through all the guys in my core group, um, to spread his word throughout this campus. And I realized that I really wanted to start my life new and to center my life around Jesus. His unconditional love deeply moved me and uh, for the last semester I think he gave me a lot of peace and helped me uh, live away from anxiety and depression. As an international student, uh, my country is not a religious country, but uh, I choose to be a Christian and get baptized today. Just walking around, I, I just feel like there's a path now in my life because of just like having God's embrace around me and God kind of brought me to IU and brought me to Chi Alpha. Then I got here and a friend invited me to Chi Alpha service and I said yes. And since then I've said yes to pretty much every opportunity to learn more about Jesus. And for the first time when I heard that story, I wasn't the person with the stone in my hand. I realized I am the woman and I am looking at Jesus and with nothing on my face, but yeah, I did. While I put the nail in his hands, he was ready to hug me. And that is a love that is so uncomprehendable that I just, I just want to die then and never look back again. Finally kind of have a grasp on the whole relationship with God and I'm just really enthusiastic about where I'm going to go and I'm so thankful for Jenny and I wanted to do it with her here because she's been such a blessing as of all the other girls in my core group. So just. Thank you for this opportunity, and I'm so excited to follow Jesus. The start of my college life should be started in a life of Christ, so that's why I'm getting baptized today. So as I began to learn through Chi Alpha, I realized a couple things. The hole inside me had begun to fill, and that I'd never been part of a real community like Chi Alpha. But this summer, it all came to a breaking point when God rescued me and showed me that I have a loving, accepting family here in Chi Alpha. As he is healing me with his amazing love through leading a core group and personal quiet time. I'm learning to forgive my parents and trust him with my every need. I urge anyone who is suffering alone in secret darkness to step out into God's healing light because it's so much better there. And always remember that God won't give up on your heart no matter how many times you break his. It's okay to be broken and to be vulnerable and with like everyone because that's what Jesus calls us to be, is to give him his, our brokenness so that he can make us whole. I felt Jesus and he transformed me from the inside and ever since then, life has never been the same. He has, he's really changed me, every single aspect about me. And just, I'd like to end by saying, quote from uh, 2nd Corinthians 5.17, which says, therefore anyone who believes in Christ will, will have a new beginning and the old will die. Thank you. Hang on right here, Baron. Um, I love you, Ben, by the way. You'll notice our shirts match. And uh, they're pretty awesome. I just want to tell you, Baron actually bought this shirt for me back in October. And so this was before he was a Christian, and uh, we had a we had some first experiences. We went to a Chick Fil A for the first time that day, and uh, Walmart for the first time. And we're walking through Walmart, and Baron's buying like half the store, and uh, he grabs this shirt for himself, and we keep walking and hanging out. 
before we leave, he went back and bought this shirt for me. And um, when, I, when he gave that to me, I knew in my head, I'm not going to wear this until I baptize this guy. And so this shirt has sat in my closet. And uh, over time, he'd ask me, I bought you this shirt. Why aren't you wearing the shirt? And I'd say, oh, you know, I'm just waiting for the right time. Um, it's the right time. Sometimes um, uh, when Megan and I give our, our missions offering every week towards our missions, faith, promise, whatever, sometimes it can get kind of mundane. That's why we bring guys like this in. This is where your missions giving's going. When we have these nights of prayer like we have Wednesday night, this is who we're praying for. I mean, you, you get the connection there. What you see on there, that's the product of your prayers and your giving. You might never set foot on the campus of IU, but you're making a difference. And that's awesome. It's great. I, I commend you. Okay, we, we, we want to release Derek in a minute just to share a, a quick word with us from, from the Word of God, most importantly. But even before we get there, let me just toss out uh, some questions and some thoughts. Luke, did you want to greet the church real quick? I know Derek had an opportunity already. Yeah, well, hello. Good morning. <laughs> um, one thing I wanted to say for sure, I don't know if, I, if you know this, but when I first started eight years ago to raise my budget, um, you, your church, Pastor Scott, you were the very first people at all to support me. Cool. And you approached me, and yeah. even before my parents said they were going to support me. Wow. Yeah. Thank you. Uh, um, so I just want to thank you. It just gave me a lot of like confidence and courage to know that God That's was awesome. going to do this, and I just thank you. So you bet. Much. Well, there's only one guy on this stage who my wife has changed his diapers, Luke. And, <laughs> just, and she might change mine in about 30, 40 years. I don't know. But <laughs> Luke, I hope I didn't just embarrass you, but um, Luke's parents were Megan and I's youth pastors way back in the 80s and the 90s. And um, when you see the fruit of this young man's life, I mean, uh, I'm, uh, Megan and I are both fruit of his parents' lives. And um, uh, like for like six or seven years, all the way through middle school and high school, I, I had his parents. And even through the tragedy that I walked through with my parents, I mean, it was your dad. I, I, uh, and I remember the night when my parents' accident happened, your dad was right there in my face saying, God's got this. He's going to be with you. And, and I'll never forget the love and um, the discipleship your parents led me. So I'm, I'm, I just I bless the Lord uh, for your life and for your family. 
Um, and so glad to hear what, what, uh, what God's doing through you guys in Chi Alpha. Um, let, let me just, let me just I, I just have a couple questions that I want to make sure we get to um, before we jump into the word. But just talk to us for a second. Let's just say there's a freshman, I don't know, about four or five years ago that came into IU. What is your goal? What is, what is it that you want to see a freshman comes into IU and just like, how do they, and I know... It's a load of questions because you could take a long time talking about this. But what is the process of that that student? What's your vision? What's your dream? If, if we're praying for you, we want to see a, a new student come in and grow. And in four years, this is where we want to see them at. What does that look like? Either one of you. Um, so we we kind of have some wins that we mention in Kyle a lot. But one of the one of our biggest wins is getting a student connected to a vibrant small group. We call them core groups. Okay. Um, and we, we believe that small groups are, that's, that's our main vehicle for reaching students at IU. And we believe that in the small group um, setting, when there's real relationship, that's when real discipleship happens. Yeah. We believe in the Tuesday, we do Tuesday night big service gatherings. We believe in that, but we You have two services on Tuesday nights, two, right? Two services, That's yeah. crazy, okay. Um, but beyond that, we say all the time, if we were gonna have to, kill something, we would kill the service and, and let the small groups run because um, we actually average more students in our small groups on a weekly basis than in our services. And we, we wow. see that as a win because we, we believe that's really where discipleship happens and where students grow. So we want to see a new mm. student, a freshman, get connected relationally in a community where, you know, this group, this small group, is this is their best friends. Like, these are the people they hang out with on a Friday night. Um, and so that, that's our win. And then eventually... Um, as they're, as they're in the group and following Jesus, we want to challenge them to go and do the same, to go and to lead a small group and to make disciples the way that um, someone has discipled them. Um, so we want the, the, what they've experienced as a freshman this whole year, if they've gotten connected to a small group, is a student leader who has just poured their entire life out into, into them. And so when that happens and we challenge them, hey, we want you um, to go do this. What God has done in you, he wants to do through you. We say that all the time. And so we want to see them get connected, and when we want to challenge them to go reach and disciple students as well. That's awesome. Awesome. And I, I think uh, we, the way I would look at it, you were talking about this being a church plant, and you're talking about BGMC helping is cool. Like, I, was, I leaned over to Grant and said, we have two computers for BGMC right yeah. now, you know, that we use every day. But when you think of uh, church planting and, and going out and, and starting something from nothing, we're not sending our students out to lead small groups of people who are interested in small group. Like they're literally just going out on campus and meeting anyone and everyone. So they're not just meeting people who filled out a contact card saying, I'm interested in a Christian group. They're going out and literally meeting everyone. So they're throwing a Frisbee, you know, near someone like, oh, hey, how you doing? You know, Um, (laughs) you want to play? So, you know, just finding ways to meet people in a very crucial week. I mean, welcome week is is one of the weeks where those images are, are most prevalent. You know, the negative images are most prevalent. People are making choices that are going to define their college career. And so we feel really strongly about being in, fully invested. So the, the church planning piece, it's literally like we're sending out, we had over 100 student leaders this year. We're, we're sending 100 students out during Welcome Week and saying, we don't have people for you, go find people. And so they build yeah. these groups and they bring in some people from last year and all that. And so they're basically planting uh, the, you know, a small version of the church that they're pouring their lives into. And then as, as you see those seeds planted, they grow throughout the year and that begins to transform. So if you, if you follow that out to someone who's a senior, you know, they, they've now experienced many of them two, three years of pouring their lives out into other people. Yeah. And I say this a lot, like I want to ruin people from living an ordinary life. Like by the time they finish, I don't want them to be thinking about the American dream. I don't want them to be thinking about all this. I want them to have, to have given up control of their life to Jesus. And if, if they're going into the marketplace, we need people to know Jesus in the marketplace. And we Absolutely. need people to make a lot of money and give, give money to send people all over the world. Uh, but they could also be, be called to one of these nations. They could also be called to uh, Chi Alpha. Uh, yeah. What we're asking for is people to just be able to lay everything down. And when, whenever they see God work so powerfully in their lives... By the time they're a senior, they're saying, God, whatever you want me to do, yeah. I'll do, you know? Yeah. And that's the goal. It's not, it's not to re, I'm not a, I'm not moving the chess pieces around the maps, you know? Like my goal is just to put people in proximity to God and saying, what do you want me to do with my life? Yeah. Good stuff. Well, since we have you right here, let's put you on the spot, Grant. Someone give this young man a, a microphone. Um, does that look kind of like what you, 
I'm pulling up a chair here. Uh, let me pull up a stool. Does that look kind of like what you, you walked through, what, what the process was for you? Share a little bit about what Chi Alpha, from a student's perspective, has meant to you. Yeah, so I graduated from Northridge in 2015 and went to IU fully expecting to, to live your typical college life. Um, and I actually did that my freshman year. Didn't somehow totally missed Chi Alpha, but um, sophomore year, I got found um, by God, but also <laughs> by these guys, and um, and just there was there's one guy actually from Goshen who just like he would just annoy me and keep like finding me at places and being like, hey, you want to <laughs> hang out? Do you want to hang out? Uh, and eventually, you know, he's like my best friend to this day. Um, but just like seeing his heart on fire for God, and like we have a saying that's like, over my dead body, are you going to live a stupid, selfish life? And that he just like lived that out to where. He was like, I was like, do I really want to go to this party or do I want to hang out with, with this guy instead? And just like, he just totally, you know, the community of Chi Alpha just, just transformed what I wanted um, in a community at IU. You know, I didn't really want to be a part of like a superficial community anymore. I wanted to be part of these people who truly um, loved me and cared for me. And it was all because Jesus was, was working through them. That's awesome. And just fill us in, then you graduated, and this year you're doing what with Chi Alpha? Yeah, so I just felt called last year to um, do an internship on staff with Chi Alpha where pretty much you learn a lot about ministry behind the scenes and just how much hard work, like, Derek and Luke and the rest of the staff um, does just for all the students. Yeah. And you're also learning some theology and just practical ministry um, things, but I'm not really sure what next year holds, but I know that because of my time in Chi Alpha, um, wherever I go, whether that be missions work in Japan or marketplace somewhere, um, that like my priority is going to be reaching people with the gospel, and exactly. that was not on my radar going into to college at all. Yeah. That's awesome. Good stuff. Good stuff. Thank you for sharing. So, um, uh, if if any of us in this room. Um, have struggled. Yeah, we just see kids going off to college and they're partying and they're just, they're lazy. They don't know how to work. They have no work ethic, blah, blah, blah. I mean, you know, as you think about what, what's been dubbed, um, if you label people Gen Z or whatever, you think about those who are students right now coming out of college. Um, what gives you hope? What do you see in this generation? What do you see happening in these students' lives? It's like, hey, uh, what we see is God's doing this, this, it. I mean, talk to us for a second. I think one, one thing that's really interesting about millennials and Gen Z, you know, is they've, you know, kind of both generations are in that category a bit. You know, yeah. people, I'm, I'm like the first millennial. Um, okay. And so I, I feel like my older brother is like, knows how to work. And sometimes I'm wondering, do I know how to work? You know, just <laughs> those types of things. So I embrace it. Um, but, but God's, God's been doing things in my life in this area. But one thing that you'll notice about millennials and Gen Z, I think what, a lot of what's happened is a deconstruction of the way previous generations have gone about things. And in a lot of ways, that's, that's not been great. But in a lot of ways, what I think what's being searched for is authenticity. The reason things have been deconstructed, mm. the reason they're saying, well, I don't know if I agree with that. I don't know if that is the way that things should be. It's because they're searching for something that's real. And so what you notice with millennials and Gen Z is they are authentic. They are searching for authentic community. That's kind of what Grant was just talking about. And when they mm. find it, it, it's transformative. And so, and, and they offer it in a unique way as well. They're offering it to the people around them. And when you activate this, this passion that's inside of them and they take it out and, and you combine now, like what you're hearing from Grant, I mean, our students, if you meet them, you're like, you do what? Like you're a full-time student and you give 20 hours a week to your small group and to all of these other things, and they're doing it willingly. It definitely blows your mind in terms of, like, the work ethic that's there. Uh, but I think it's, it's they're searching for something that will activate that in them. What is worth doing? And, and when we see students find something that's worth doing, they, they throw everything into it. And I really appreciate your description of that because I do think that's, that's a lot of the view. It's a lot of my view <laughs> is sure. that um, that – you know, I was, I was telling uh, Grant's mom last night, my, my grandparents, you know, they, they had two full-time jobs and they both, and they had a garden, you know, which was a farm, you know, that they, <laughs> they basically, you know, all of their whole lives, they're, they just work and work and work and work. And I'm thinking like, do I do anything? You know, I don't want to mow my grass. I don't want to, you <laughs> know, and, but you recognize, yes, there is a gap generationally 
but there's a lot of hope for for them to to activate and they're starting to lay things down that you know that their whole generation is addicted to you know and they're they're giving their lives to they're laying those things down and they're investing themselves so i think there's a lot of hope i think a lot, obviously you know i was with some people the other day thinking about this but um when you talk about millennials and Gen Z, the ironic thing is like, obviously all of millennial and Gen Z's parents are here, you know? So, yeah. so it's your fault. Yeah. Um, but, but you know, <laughs> you know, like your kids and the hope that you have for your kids. And, yeah. and what I'm saying is that hope is worthwhile. That's real. And, yeah. and God is doing something. It's new and it's different. Um, but man, we got, we got students serving all over the world, um, because, because they are searching for that authentic thing and they found it and they want to share it. It's like the, the pearl of great price. They found it in the field and they sold, sold everything yeah. so that they could buy it and offer it to other people. So there is a lot of hope. I don't know if that answers Amen. the question, but oh, I'm, yeah, I'm yeah. excited about it. Uh, one other thing I, I wanted to try to make sure we hit is, but Derek also oversees the whole state of Indiana, all the Chi Alphas. How many campuses are we on in the state of Indiana with Chi Alpha? Campuses, probably, it's somewhere between 10 and 15. We, we kind of have now gone by area. So we have seven or eight, like, regions that have multiple campuses connected. So in our area, we have IU, but we also have Ivy Tech. Yeah. Purdue has uh, Purdue and Ivy Tech. Um, so we have a few, like, Fort Wayne has uh, a few campuses that they're on up there as well. Okay. And if any of you are locals at IUSB, we have a... a, a uh, Chi Alpha group that's happening there. Of course, we know uh, Tim Kern helps lead that as well as at Notre Dame. And uh, so if your students are going anywhere on a, to a secular campus, there's probably something, a Chi Alpha happening there. Um, if not, definitely something else. Um, okay, so uh, what else would you guys, if, if, you know, this is your one shot, you might not be back for a couple years. Um, uh, what, what would you like to say about Chi Alpha? Is there anything else in, in, in summary of of, uh, that you just want to give testimony of, um, anything you'd like to say to the church here before we let Derek take us? Uh, yeah, one really cool thing that's ha- been happening recently in the last few years is we've been able to, our staff has grown a lot at IU from students like Grant, um, coming on to staff and doing inter- internships, um, but we've been able to build our staff to the point where we're now able to be sending teams out to plant new Chi Alpha groups on, on campuses. So we just sent out, this last year we sent out um, a couple who's um, Kenji and Sierra Kuriyama, who Kenji's like one of my best friends in the whole world, but they are, they have left, they've moved to Columbus, Ohio to plant Chi Alpha at Ohio State University, okay. um, which is just really, really they awesome. Yeah. And we're sending a team with them as well who's going to join them next year. Um, I said they need it. That's all. I okay. Said. Yeah. Yeah. That's true. Yeah. From an um, Irish fan. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. We were there yesterday, actually, at the yeah. basketball. It was, game. it was painful. Yeah. We, we're not. We don't like it either. So. Yeah. <laughs> um, so that that's really cool. And then also, there's a couple that was uh, originally in Chi Alpha in Texas when they were in college. They they uh, were missionaries in Russia for a bit. Um, they got kicked out of Russia, um, but then they they came to us because they were wanting to go back to uh, Lithuania to plant Chi Alpha, and they came. Yeah to IU for a year and um, built a team. Um, and now we have a team that's going to go with them to Lithuania to start Chi Alpha in Vilnius with Lithuania e- as well. E-Lifts? E- e- yes. Yeah. L-Lifts. Yeah, we just started supporting that. Awesome. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you for that. And and uh, what's really great about that, what's cool about that is we will, in five years, we will have 20-plus IU graduates serving in these places. So. Yeah. These are teams of people who graduated from IU, from Kelly School of Business, from, you know, other things, and they're going out with these groups. So we have, and the idea, you know, Lithuania is on this map, is that this, this is an open area where Lithuania, Latvia, and Estonia, we could have a Chi Alpha movement happening on campuses across, mm-hmm. in a really untapped area with the gospel, um, going across that region with students from Chi Alpha, you know, who are, mm-hmm. are Middlebury students. I'm not saying Grant, but yeah. possibly no. Um, <laughs> but I'm saying uh, across those countries, and so it's it's a really unique time. I don't. I think when we we came, we wanted to send missionaries. We knew that was something that we wanted to be about. I just don't think we could have imagined God doing something like this on this level. Yes. Uh, when did you start at IU? 2011. So this is our ninth year on okay. campus. Yeah. All right. All right. Okay. Yeah. Good stuff. Yeah. Well, guys, thank you so much for coming and, and uh, hanging out with us. And can you show your appreciation for these guys? Awesome. Hey, thanks for letting us be here this morning. I'm going to try to perform a miracle and preach my message.
in a short amount of time. Wish me luck for your own sake. Actually, um, I want to just introduce myself. I'm Derek, and if you have that picture, this is my family. Um, this is from this year at Christmas. Um, that's me on the left. You didn't know that? Um, that is my wife, uh, Jordan, who's an incredible woman, just incredible singer, very talented, but just an amazing mom. Um, th- those are our uh, kids. Davis is on the right. He is five, and Jonas is on the left. He is three. Um, they had that morning perfected their no teeth smiles and they wanted to use them and they really did a great job. This is an awesome picture. Um, but my five-year-old is, um, is an amazing kid. Um, I don't know how many parents we have in the room. So you know what five-year-old is like. Um, but man, every stage that Davis had was perfect. It was amazing. He slept through the night at a very young age. Um, no terrible twos, like really sweet kid. Um, literally, we could sit with him in a church service all the way through when he was like a year and a half and he wouldn't make a sound. It was just unbelievable. Um, and now he's like Facebook star because literally he's like the most quotable person in the world. And so I'm sharing things from him all the time. Um, just everybody loves him. Like it's just like he's the kid that can like bring you to tears in like seconds, you know. And he's in kindergarten now. And so he's like sharing that with a bunch of other people. Um, He's just an awesome kid. Jonas is three, and I joke about this, that we're just starting to love Jonas right now Um, at three years old. Davis, it was instant. Jonas, uh, yeah. So, So Jonas has every redeeming quality that's necessary to be the way that he is, you know. Um, but he, you know, every stage was the exact opposite. Um, and so we, you know, we've, we've struggled there. We really do love him. He's, he's amazing. Um, but, but Luke knows. Uh, he's around both of them, so he knows I'm telling the truth. But, but that's our, our family, five-year-old and three-year-old. And so we're kind of in that stage where, you know, like the kids say, you know, the craziest things kind of thing. And uh, Davis, uh, in particular, just all the time, he is sharing something new with us that's just amazing. You know, I'm just like in awe or I'm like, how are you thinking of this or whatever? But he's in kindergarten, so he's in school now and he has recess twice a day, uh, which sounds pretty awesome. Um, But at recess, so he started coming home uh, telling stories about recess. And one particular day he came home and he was completely covered in dirt and he had a black eye and he was happy. And so we're like, okay, uh, what's going on here? And I mean, he stinks, you know, I mean, it's very clearly he's been rolling around in the dirt the whole day. And so he's like, oh yeah, you know, a group of us kids um, have started fighting at recess. So they literally have like a fight club at recess. And I'm, I, it's amazing. He's been, and it's been going, ongoing um, all the way up through this week. This is several weeks ago, the story that I'm telling you now. But he came home the first day, and he was like, Yo, there, yeah, there's this big kid. His name is Spencer. He's a six-year-old. Um, and so everybody wants to fight him because, you know, everybody's fighting or trying to fight him because he's a big kid, you know. And uh, so he's coming home. He's telling us these stories. And we're just like in awe, you know, like are there teachers at recess, you know, like what's happening? Later on, I found out like, you know, his uh, kindergarten teacher is a football coach. So I think he's just like, ah, that's good. And I kind of like it personally. Um, He's he's learning some stuff, but he, uh, he's fighting this big kid. And, and we're like, Davis, like, why, why are you, if this kid's so big, why are you trying to fight him? And, uh, and he was, you know, he thought about it for a second and then he, he shared why. And, um, and I'm going to, I'm going to get back to that in just a second, but I'm going to rewind a few days earlier, actually the day before, um, I was uh, talking with one of our staff. I was having kind of a serious conversation with her and Davis came home from school and he was super excited to see me. It was just like great moment. Like I said, just a great kid. And uh, he comes up, he's like, dad, I'm home from school. You know, it's just like, we're, I'm already in tears. Yeah, just, he just knows what to say to me. You know, he's saying these things. And so he sits down with me. I'm like, he's asking to play the Xbox, um, which is like, that's why he said that he loved me, you know? Um, and I was like, no, just wait. So he sat next to me, and we're finishing our conversation, me with the staff person. And I was sharing with her. I was like, hey, you know, I, I, I've been thinking about this and just really wrestling with it. And I want you to, to know. And I, I was sharing this with her. And Davis overheard it. And he heard me say that I was wrestling with it. And he goes, you wrestle? And, and I was like, well, you know, I wrestled in middle school. I don't know if you could call it wrestling, but, you know, I, I – I, but I'm talking about like I was thinking about this and whatever, and he's just like looking at me, and they just didn't talk the rest of the time. He's just like staring off, you know, thinking. And uh, so when he came home from school that day from from the playground, and we asked why were you why were you so um, excited to fight this kid? Why he was so much bigger than you? Why why were you wanting to wrestle with him? And he he said, 
you said, you said you fight, and so I wanted to fight. And so the whole day, he was saying, if dad fights, I fight. So I'm thinking about my little five-year-old kid in kindergarten going to recess, seeing this big kid who's fighting everybody, and what was going through his mind in that moment. And he was thinking falsely, <laughs> if my dad fights, I fight. And that was the motivation that he had to do what he did that day. And I was thinking, that's going in a sermon, you know? And, uh, and I'll come back to it in just a second. So you were sharing from Acts chapter one, and I wanna share from Acts one. Did you get that, um, that passage of scripture? I'm actually, go back to the previous slide. I'll just tell you where I'm going today. And again, I'm gonna, not that slide, the one in between uh, the title of the sermon. Yeah, so we're gonna be talking about go and take the land. So go and take the land. That's the, the title of the message today. And we're gonna go to Acts chapter one. You can go there real quick. So Acts chapter one. And again, I'm gonna try to I'm gonna try to fly through this um, as much as I can. I need everybody to look at me real quick. I'm gonna make you think this morning. I'm sorry for that, but I need you to sit up and like be engaged right now because I'm gonna I'm gonna be going through some things that I think are very important to lead us where we're going. But we have to go through those things to get where we're going. And I, I'm really grateful to be here at the beginning of this month because I think it's gonna lay the brown, the groundwork for the things that are gonna be happening here in the next several weeks. Um, but in Acts chapter one, we see this passage of scripture, and we're gonna just start in verse three. It says, "After his suffering, he presented himself to them and gave many convincing proofs that he was alive." So Jesus was resurrected. He showed himself to his disciples, and they're like, "Well, what?" they do for those 40 days? It says he appeared to them over a period of 40 days and he spoke about the kingdom of God. So literally for this period of time, for 40 days, Jesus was speaking with his disciples about the kingdom of God. What was he talking about? Was he talking about heaven? This is where you're going to go when you die? What was he saying? What was he explaining to them for 40 days talking about the kingdom of God? And so what I want to do with you really quickly, because as we go through this passage, it lands on this. They're talking about the kingdom. He says, wait for the gift my father promised. And you heard him quote that passage of scripture in, in, in verse 8 where he ultimately lands. He says, wait here for the Holy Spirit. In verse eight, it says, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. So he starts by talking about the kingdom of God. So let's start there. What could Jesus have been talking about? What could Jesus have been sharing? And this is something, are you guys ready for like the roller coaster ride? We're gonna go literally from Genesis all the way through to the New Testament, okay? It's gonna be a miracle. Are you ready? Nobody said yes except for pastors. So all right, so Genesis 1, verse 27, God created mankind, right? How did God create man? How did he create you? Imagine Jesus talking with his disciples about these things. God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him, male and female, he created them, and God blessed them and said to them, be fruitful and multiply, and then what? Fill the earth and subdue it, subject it or make subservient and then have dominion and rule over the fish of the sea. So what's really powerful is from the very beginning of time, we as mankind were created to rule. That's, that is what God did in creating us in his image. And so we were created to rule. And that, that really speaks to what happened in Genesis 3 whenever we sinned and we rebelled against God and brokenness entered the world. Now you have people made in the image of God, made to rule, right, we were made to rule, but now we're broken, and we're broken rulers. So you think about our nation, you think about other nations, you think about our, our world, our communities, we are being led by broken people. So chaos ensues from Genesis 3 because people are made in the image of God to rule, and they're all trying to rule over each other, and they're all doing it in brokenness, and nobody knows how to do it because they've been cut off from the source, the image bearer that shows them how to rule right? And so there's something happening there. And so God is trying to rectify this problem. So how does he do it? Genesis 12 through 22, he calls a man named Abraham. And he says, these people don't know how to rule each other. So I'm going to call a man and I'm going to create a people for myself and I'm going to rule over them. And I'm going to show the world, this is what it looks like to rule. This is God calling this people to himself. So he does that in Genesis chapter 22, verse 15. It says, an angel of the Lord called to Abraham a second time from heaven and said, by myself, I have sworn, declares the Lord, because you have done this and have not withheld your son, this is Isaac, your only son, I will surely bless you and I will multiply your offspring as the stars of the heaven and as the sand that is on the seashore and your offspring will possess the gate of his enemies and in your offspring will all the nations of the earth be blessed. So in this moment, he is calling this people to himself for what purpose? To show them that this is what I intended. I'm going to rule over you, but also so that all nations in the world would be blessed 
through this people. So he was doing something to rectify Genesis 1, where all of creation was created in the image of God to serve God and to serve each other. He was doing something to reconcile all of those things. So he has his people for himself. They go to Egypt, right? There's a famine. You guys follow me? You guys, you guys know the story? And so they, they go to Egypt. They find their brother, you know, and then they end up living there. So there's like millions of, of Jewish people that are living in Egypt. And it says a Pharaoh arose in Exodus chapter 1. A Pharaoh arose that didn't know Joseph. And he basically started oppressing the people. So this is a kingdom of the earth, right? So we're going to be talking about the kingdom of God, like we said. This is a kingdom of the earth, a ruler in a broken image who is now oppressing the people of God. And so what you do as you follow it through Exodus 14, God begins to rectify this situation for his people. He's showing them that you, as my people, can be free from oppression, and I'm going to free you from this thing. So what you have in Exodus 14 is Pharaoh saying, you know, it's like Prince of Egypt. You've seen that movie, right? So you have some, some biblical knowledge about it. So Exodus, Exodus 14 is like, let my people go. That is Moses going to Pharaoh and saying, these are God's people and you do not have the right to oppress them. God is going to deliver them. It's a clash of kingdoms. It's human kings saying, I want to rule, not God. And it's God saying, no, you don't have a right to rule over these people. And so it's God taking that back and showing them this is, this is what it's actually like. And so in Exodus 15, you see this phrase. Imagine, again, Jesus talking about this with his disciples, that this was the story of God. This is the kingdom of God. This is what I was coming to do. Now, hang with me. I want to I show you, right? So then in Exodus uh, 15, you see their prayer back to God for thanking him for delivering them. And he says, and they say, the Lord God will reign forever and ever. So God, again, was becoming king of his people. Again, he was reigning and ruling over them and showing them how to rule. So go to 1 Samuel chapter 8 if you have it. It's a really important passage. I think it's an awesome application for your life, but there's also something powerful about who God is and what he was going to do. So in 1 Samuel, again, all the people are like, okay, we get it. God, you're the ruler and you delivered us from Egypt, but we kind of want to go our own way now. And so in verse 4, it says, all the elders of Israel gathered together and came to Samuel. Verse 5, they said to him, your old and your sons do not follow your ways. Now appoint a king to lead us like all the other nations have. But what, what, when they said, give a king to lead us, Samuel was displeased and he prayed to the Lord. And the Lord told him, listen to all the people are saying to you. It is not you they have rejected, but they have rejected me as their king, as they have done from the day I brought them out of Egypt until this day, forsaking me and serving other gods, so they are doing to you. Now listen to them, but warn them solemnly, and let them know what the king who will reign over them will claim as his rights. And so he goes on, the people refuse to listen to Samuel as he's trying to convince them. They say, we want a king, verse 19, we want a king over us. Then we will be like all the other nations with a king to lead us and to go out before us and to fight our battles. And so what's, what's precipitated this? They get delivered from, from Egypt, right? And then and where do they go after that with Joshua? They go into the promised land. So they go into the land of Israel and they start fighting. So that go and take the land. Then they have the land. And after they have the land, they start begging God, begging Samuel for a king to rule them. What are they actually saying? They're saying, Jesus or God says, they're not rejecting you, they're rejecting me. So the, the people of Israel are looking at God, and this is important, and they're rejecting him as their king. And they're saying, we want a human king. For, for ourselves. Everybody with me on that? So Israel asks for a king. God says, why? He says, I will be your king. Samuel's disappointed. God just says, listen to them, give them what they want. And in, in this moment of rejecting God, God enacts a plan. He puts into motion the way maker, right, that we sang about this morning. He puts in a plan that is so powerfully redemptive. And I think sometimes we miss it. And I just want to highlight it this morning because I think it's applicable in our lives to know that when we mess up, when we reject God, God has a way of redeeming even us and meeting us in that and, and bringing about something incredible in our lives that we could have never expected. But what's, what's true about this story is that, that the, the kings that led Israel were terrible. Even the good ones were bad. Like David's the best. And he, he like slept with another man's wife and then he killed the guy to cover it up. That was the good one, right? Of the broken rulers that were leading. This was the good one. And, and God is saying, this is what you want. I'm gonna give it to you. But he was, he was doing something in the process. Ultimately, these kings led Israel where? Back into exile. Just like in Egypt, back into oppression, back into to Babylon. You see these prophets that are coming up and they're prophesying this and they're saying this. Isaiah 61 is, is in the middle of this time, right? And Isaiah is saying, like, there is one that is coming, right? Deliverance is coming. Isaiah chapter 52, I think I have this on the screen. This is really awesome. 
Isaiah speaking to Israel. He's saying, how beautiful upon the mountains are the feet of him who brings good news, who publishes salvation, who says to Zion, your God reigns. So listen to this. In this destruction, in this disaster, in this, these broken rulers who are trying to lead Israel, in this exile, Isaiah is saying what? There is good news. What is the good news? It's not that Jesus died on the cross, is going to die on the cross for your sins. It, it is that. What is it? What is he saying? He says, your God reigns. In, in other words, in the middle of this brokenness, Isaiah is prophesying that your God will be king again. He will lead you out of exile and he will be your king again. So let's keep moving. Daniel talks about this. Um, he's, he's prophesying this, that the, the kingdom is coming. The kingdom is going to be reestablished. You are going to have God as your king again. So go to the Old Testament, the New Testament. Matthew is pretty awesome. You guys know at the beginning of Matthew, um, it, it does this whole genealogy thing. And it's like, why are all these names here? So I'm going to preach the genealogy real quick um, because it's really powerful. So in verse 6, it's, it's going through, um, this is the genealogy of Jesus. And I want you to see the redemptive nature of God in this passage. It says, Jesse was the father of King David. That's not an accident, right? King David. That is specifically mentioned. David was the father of Solomon, whose mother had been Uriah's wife, who David killed. Solomon, the father of Rehoboam. And he goes through this whole line of kings, right? And then in verse 11, it says, Josiah, the father of Jeconiah, and it follows through, goes to the, the exile to Babylon. In other words, he's following the line of kings all the way through. Go to verse 16. It comes to the end. It says, and Jacob, the father of Joseph, the husband of Mary, and Mary was the mother of Jesus, who is called the Messiah. Thus, there were 14 generations in each of these places. Verse 20. This is Joseph. He says, but as he considered these things, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not fear to take Mary as your wife, for that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will bear a son, and you will call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. Verse 22, all this took place to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they will call his name Emmanuel, which means what? God with us. We just followed the line of kings. What did, in 1 Samuel, what did the people say to God? We want a human king like everybody else. And God said to Samuel, they're not rejecting you, they're rejecting me, so give them what they want. And God, from 1 Samuel 8 all the way through Matthew, he follows the whole line of kings, and then God becomes human and enters the line of kings just like they asked, and he becomes their king again. The story of Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John is a story of Jesus becoming king. It's a story of God becoming king and the kingdom of God coming to the earth in the way that God intended it in Genesis chapter 1. It's the reconciliation and the restoration of all of these things. So your brains were on for that, right? Okay, so Matthew chapter 4. Jesus goes out then and does what? He announces, behold, the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Jesus is coming saying, the kingdom has come. Isaiah 52 said, they're going to they're gonna preach the good news. What's the good news? Your God reigns. Matthew 4, what's the good news? Your God reigns. Your God is here. He is coming back to rule over his people. He's calling a new people to himself. So let's go to John 12 real quick. So first time Jesus is mentioned as king in the entire book of John. Your brains are still on, right? Okay, so first time Jesus is mentioned as king in the book of John. It's in John chapter 12, and it's the first time we see Jesus saying, yeah, you're right, I am king, <laughs> right? He's like, go ahead and worship me. So verse 12, it says, the next day, the large crowd that had come to the feast heard that Jesus was coming to Jerusalem. Now, Lazarus has been raised from the dead. You guys know that story. All these people are like, wait, this guy raises the dead. And so they all flood out and they find Jesus and they start to worship him. That's what's happening here, verse 13, it says, So they took branches of palm trees, and they went out to meet him, crying out, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, even the king of Israel. And Jesus found a young donkey and sat on it, just as it is written, Fear not, daughter of Zion. Behold, your king is coming, sitting on a donkey's colt, a fulfillment of the scripture. Immediately after that, Jesus has been revealed as king to his disciples. John chapter 13, you can flip the page, go to John 13. What is Jesus' first act with his disciples after he's revealed as king? John chapter 13 and verse 3, it says, Jesus, knowing that the Father had given all things into his hands, knowing that he was king and that he had come from God and was going back to God, he rose from supper, he laid aside his outer garments, taking a towel, he tied it around his waist, and he poured water into a basin and began to wash the disciples' feet and wipe them with the towel 
that was wrapped around him. Think about this. Pharaoh as king, a broken ruler, oppressing the people. All of the Israelite kings ruling over them. They're in Rome right now. They're being ruled over by the Roman people. They're being oppressed. They are still in exile. And Jesus is revealed as God, revealed as king. And he's saying, you see all of the things that they're doing. Now watch what real ruler, what a real ruler, what a real king looks like. And he bends down in front of his disciples and he begins to wash their feet. And he looks them in the eye and he says, isn't this better than that? This is what the kingdom is. And look at Peter's response. He came to Simon Peter and said, Lord, do you wash my feet? And Jesus answered him, what I'm doing now you don't understand, but you will understand it. And Peter says to him, you will never wash my feet. Jesus answered him, if I do not wash you, you have no share with me. So think about that. Everybody look at me. Think about this. This is who Jesus is. This is who God is. He looks at Peter. He's been revealed as king to his disciples. They're worshiping him as king. And the first thing as king, as his, his right to, to require anything of anyone that he wants, the very first thing that he requires, he says, either do this or you're out, is you let me serve you. That is who God is is that is what that's the image that we were made in to rule others is to sit at their feet and to wash their feet and of course Peter's like well then just wash my whole body you know but Jesus is that's he's saying if you don't do this you can't be a part of this and isn't that what Jesus says to each and every one of us in this room the only requirement that we have is to accept the act of service that Jesus has done on our behalf. That is our entry into the kingdom, is obedience and submission to Jesus as king and giving his life for us. It's powerful. So Jesus is, is doing these things. In John 18 and 19, we see him go to the cross, and above his, above his head, in multiple languages, it says what? King of the Jews. Jesus going to the cross, and think of this, all earthly power, was executed on Jesus, right? The worst that anyone can do to another human was done to Jesus. He was tortured, he was beaten, and he died on the cross. They killed him. Evil in the earth had taken down the king, in a sense. What Really what was happening on the cross was Jesus was taking all of the evil of the world on himself. They did their worst to him, and then he was resurrected, right, with power over death. And so now there is literally nothing anyone can do to a believer in Jesus. Because he's the first fruits, because we will be resurrected with him. If we're tortured, we're suffering with Jesus. If we get killed, we're going to be raised anyway, right? So he has offered ultimate freedom to the entire world because the worst that these broken human rulers does not, it no longer applies. So imagine again, Jesus with his disciples in Acts chapter one, sharing these things about the kingdom. This is what has happened. This is what is going on now. I want you to participate in it. So let's go back to Acts chapter one. Jesus is teaching them these things and other things about the kingdom of God. He's saying, this isn't just for you. This is for the whole world. And I don't know if we have like a, somebody can, as I'm closing this, somebody can come forward real quick to, to play the keyboard or something like that. We just want to invite the Holy Spirit into the room right now to speak to our hearts about what God is asking us to do. He moves on from talking about the kingdom and he closes before he ascends. He says that you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. You'll be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. In other words, this work of the kingdom is not just my work, it's your work too. The book of Acts describes all of this. It's here, the kingdom is here, but it's not yet fully realized. Jesus has brought the kingdom on earth and the disciples are going out and, and sharing the kingdom with people. The, the book of Acts ends with Paul, right? People are coming to him. You know what he's talking to people as they're coming to him? You know what he's talking about? He's talking about the kingdom of God. He's talking with them about the kingdom of God. The kingdom has come to earth. What, is this, what does this all mean? Paul, in Romans chapter 10, when he's describing what, you, what must you do to be saved, right? Confess with your mouth, Jesus is Lord. Believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead. That's what, that we, but what do we believe? What he says in that passage of scripture, he quotes Isaiah, right? He quotes that exact Isaiah passage. What is the good news? How beautiful are the feet of those who bring good news. What is the good news? Our God reigns. And he says, how can they believe unless somebody preaches to them? How can they preach unless they are sent? That's what this week is about. The good news is that the kingdom has come, that oppression, the stuff you're seeing on TV that you were talking about, God has an answer for that. The kingdom is here and we have to take this kingdom message to the world. We're declaring that gospel to the world. So why do we do missions? The people of God in the Old Testament, they were God's instrument, right? They were called to God. 
to show the world what we were created to be. God ultimately became king of those people. It was a story of how God became king again through Jesus. And the New Testament is a mere image of that. So in the Old Testament, what are the things that we see? In the Old Testament, we see that God built, built a temple to restore his presence in the world. So he lived there. What, what do we see mirrored in the New Testament? We are the temple. So that temple that was reserved for, that, that place that was reserved for God's presence is now available to all mankind. That's the mirror in the New Testament. God called a people in the Old Testament to himself in Abraham, but what did he do in the New Testament? He's restoring all people through that people. These are things that the Jews cared about. They cared about the temple. They cared about the, the people of God. They cared about the land. What about the land? God picked a land in the Old Testament to restore but in the New Testament, he, he is restoring all the land to himself. So what was true in the garden, which was amazing and beautiful and God's presence was there, he's now restoring that all the way in the end, restoring all creation to himself. So I wanna, I wanna end with this. In the Old Testament, when the people are going into the land, Joshua is standing at the Jordan River, you know the story. And he goes through the camp the day before, he says, consecrate yourselves because tomorrow the Lord is gonna do amazing things among you. And they're looking at the land and God's saying, this is gonna be your land, you are my people and I'm your king. And they're going in to take the land, right? They're going in to fight for the land. What's amazing in Acts chapter one, verse eight, is, is he's now, instead of the Jordan River facing this way and going into this land, he's turned his disciples around and they're at the Jordan River and they're facing the other way. It's right here on this map. They're facing the other way now. And he's saying the land is not the land of Israel. The land is the whole earth. It's everything that I've created and I'm sending you out. Consecrate yourselves for tomorrow the Lord will do amazing things among you and he's gonna be doing it in Turkey and he's gonna be doing it in Iraq and he's gonna be doing it in Egypt. He's gonna be doing it in Lithuania. He's gonna be doing it in the United States of America. This was what God was doing. He was proclaiming freedom for people all over the world. When we follow Jesus, Jesus fought for his disciples. He served his disciples. He gave himself for his disciples. And he was looking at his disciples. He said, what God did in you through me, I want him to do through you for other people. And that for me, the culmination for me of that story, if, if, if dad fights, I fight. His disciples were looking at Jesus. Peter was looking at this act of service. He's saying, if you're gonna do this for me, I'm gonna do it too. And he turned around and he gave his whole life to go to the ends of the earth with the gospel. This is the story of Acts 1. If you could stand, I just wanna, I wanna pray for you as we close here. And I wanna share some thoughts. This is who Jesus was. Isaiah 61, verse one and two, you see it up here. It says, the spirit of the Lord is upon me because the Lord has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives and the opening of prisons to those who are bound, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. This is what he did, and this is the disciples' role. This is our role now. As you're praying for those three friends, as you're thinking about your workplace, as you're thinking about your school, as you're thinking about anxiety and depression and suicide, we have the opportunity to come into those places and say, this is not true anymore. That the kingdom of God is here and God reigns. These broken people are no longer ruling you. Jesus is ruling you. And he's here to serve you. He's here to bring hope to your hopelessness and we have to decide how are we gonna handle this? Do we follow in the disciples' footsteps and do we declare over people that the curse is broken over their lives, that there's deliverance from oppression, that we have eyes to see now for those who are blind and not taking it lightly. We're not just invading the land to call out its sin and to bring judgment. There is repentance in that area that we have to turn from the broken rulers and follow Jesus, but we're invading the land to bring hope to the despairing and to mourn with those who mourn and to rejoice with those who rejoice, to reveal to every human on the planet that this is the kingdom of God. This is who you were created to be. And we fight evil every step of the way. In Chi Alpha, we've got a unique opportunity to reach the nations, not just on campus, but around the world. We're sending students all over the world. There's probably 10 plus countries that we've already had Chi Alpha alumni serving in all over the world. And they're going with this kingdom message to declare the good news that this land is God's. They're planting flags in places and saying that. In India, we just took an offering with 300 college students. Think about this. We took an offering with 300 college students for, for, for kids very small children being sold into sex trafficking. Those 300 students gave $11,000 in that offering. 
That is the kingdom of God coming on earth. That is us wrestling with the evil of the world and saying it does not belong here. We've had two students that served in India for an entire year working with people like this, working with oppressed people, rescuing them from darkness and the power of Jesus. We have students that are going all over the world. We're going to Lithuania. We're going to OSU. We're going to Purdue. I saw a Purdue sweatshirt. Praise God. So we're, we're already there, but we're sending a whole other team of people to Purdue to reach students with the gospel. IUPUI, we're sending students to the Arab world, to Africa, across the map, because we must take the land. This is our role. This is our new identity, that we are bringing the kingdom to the whole world, not hoarding it for ourselves. Everything that we're doing at IU applies here. Everything we're doing there is, is true here, that whenever you, when you think about these walls, surrounding you and as you walk out those doors and you're standing at the Jordan River, so to speak. Yeah, this is great. These are the people of God, but we're looking out and we're saying, God, where do you want me to take the kingdom? Where do you want me to declare your kingdom? Where do you want me to declare this truth? God wants you to take the land. You are sent.